Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. ...in the privilege last Sunday night to do a pastoral review that's actually required Uh, in the manual of the Church of the Nazarene. And so, like good little Nazarenes, we all gathered together. And um, we met with our district superintendent, Dr. Terry Rowland, and uh, he asked us several questions about where we were as a church, um, as a church body, as a church community, where we felt like um, we were at. And um, I have to tell you, um, it was an absolute... Wonderful time. It was a very spiritual, uh, spirit-filled time um, last Sunday night. And so um, we stand up here very excited to tell you that um, the Lord is doing some amazing things. And uh, he was very faithful to remind us of that um, last Sunday night. Um, As part of those questions, we also talked about um, Reverend John Mindendorf and whether or not we should hang on to him for a little while longer as if that was in question, Um, uh, and I am proud to stand before you today. We are proud to stand before you today. Uh, It was a very, very strong, unanimous, absolutely yes for the next four years. So um, I'd actually like to read the letter from Dr. Rowland. And uh, as I'm reading that, I'd like to ask John to escort his lovely wife, Kelly, up here. And Drew, I want to ask a favor of you. I want to ask you to escort your lovely sister, Taylor, up here as well. Uh, (laughs) But let me read this. uh, Let me read this officially to you um, as a representative of the entire church board that is able to be here today. Um, And uh, so we'll read this and then we'll, we'll... take a couple of minutes for some other, um, some other things. Dear members and friends of the Church of the Nazarene, of OKC First Church of the Nazarene, it is my joy to report that I met with your local church board on September 24th, 2017, for the purpose of reviewing the call of your pastor, Reverend John Middendorf. This is a routine review done in compliance with manual paragraph 123, you can look that up later, which is called the Regular Pastoral Review. I'm glad to report to you that there was a real spirit of openness, optimism, and encouragement during this meeting. Your church board has agreed that the call of Pastor Middendorf should be continued until the time for the next four-year review. I'm also happy to announce to you that Pastor John has accepted this call (laughs) to continue his ministry here among us, and we are very, very grateful for that as well. May I encourage you to continue giving wholehearted cooperation to your pastor and your church board who have accepted the responsibility of leadership in your church. Please pray for them and support them in this important ministry assignment. I also encourage you all to be a vital part of the ministry that God has called you to in his harvest. These are wonderful days to serve him, and I challenge you now to continue to be united in redemptive outreach as you find ways to fulfill the Great Commission Go ye into the world and preach the gospel. Blessings, Dr. Terry Rowland, District Superintendent for the Oklahoma District. Um, We have some very, very small uh, gifts for you uh, and more to come, but we wanted to present these to you this morning. Uh, 
So I'm going to just hand these to you and let you pass them out. They've got names on them. Um, <laughs> I'm going to call a small audible, so please don't panic. Um, but I'd like for you all to just stand right here and kind of link arms. And um, the church board, I like on, on behalf of the entire church to just sort of lay hands on them. And uh, as representative of the entire OKC First Church congregation, we would love to pray a prayer of commissioning, continued commissioning, and um, blessing upon all of you because we know that you don't do this by yourself, um, but that these people um, make you who you are. And so we want to pray prayers of blessing and encouragement to Kelly and Taylor and Drew as well. So we're going to invite you guys to do that. And uh, church board, if you will uh, surround them. And I'm going to call one more audible. And Mike Bell, I'm going to hand you the microphone. <laughs> and I'm going to have you, uh, on behalf of our church and uh, behalf of the church board, pray for uh, our pastor's family. Father, we are uh, always grateful that we can uh, lift up our uh, pastoral family, that we uh, know that uh, you have uh, encouraged us to do this continuously, but uh, we thank you for these uh, unique opportunities, uh, that we can uh, lift them before you and ask that the protection of your loving arms would be about them. Uh, we uh, particularly lift up um, Taylor and Drew and Kelly and uh, that you would uh, surround them with a, uh, with a desire uh, to uh, meet you here. And we thank you for the great gift you've given that uh, this is a place uh, that they really look to as home. We pray that you would continue to uh, encourage John that uh, the burden that rests on his shoulders so much that uh, few are uh, able to see, Lord, that that would be lifted continually and that uh, those who come around him that uh, will uh, serve alongside him will willingly bear that burden. We pray that your spirit would fill him and that as he speaks, as he uh, prays, as he leads, it would be uh, done through the inspiration of your spirit. We know that um, all these things that we would ask are, um, are small sometimes compared to the things that you would have us ask on their behalf. And we just uh, trust in you to continue uh, to move us to pray and lift them up. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As they find their seats, would you stand with me for the reading of Scripture? Our scripture text this morning is from Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 through 32. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will, all, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Well, why then did you not believe them? But if, he, if we say of human origin, we're afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. 
What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. This is the word of the Lord. Man, you may be seated. Okay, a couple of things. Thank you, first of all. Do you realize that my kids have not known any other church? And I'm super grateful that when they think of church, you all have defined what that means for them. I'm very, I'm very grateful. And my marriage has not known any other church. So as we have worked through what it means to be married, I mean, this is the place that's taught us not just marriage, but covenant. And I am grateful and was quick to say yes when the call was extended for for four years because, man, I don't know if you know this, but I've never been a pastor anywhere else. Uh, And I'm super excited to continue this journey this covenantal journey with you, and I hope you will be too after I finish this sermon. (laughs) We need more hosts, ushers, and greeters. We do. We need more people to be hosts, ushers, and greeters, and we need them to be here sometimes on Sundays. We need folks to put skin and flesh, we say this a lot around here, on, on what it is that Larry and LaDonna do so well. It's, it's like it's native language for Larry and LaDonna. In fact, they have trained our people so, where, so well that I got greeted at two different doors today. But Larry and LaDonna so perfectly embody what I hope we can be after church, between Sundays. We're going to talk a lot today about this word authority, but you need to know that I know, and you know too, that religious authority is a dangerous thing. It's a little bit like nuclear power, right? It can be used very well and can have great uh, effects, but it can also be done very poorly and have catastrophic effects. And I'm going to use this language to give us these categories for the, for the rest of this sermon. There, here are the two ways, I think, there, maybe there are a lot of ways. We're only going to talk about two different ways to do religious authority. One will be symbolized by the open hand, which is the open hand of hospitality. The open hand of hospitality. Yes, that is actually a particular posture of authority. I would submit that this is the posture of Christ-like authority, the open hand. Or the clenched fist. And I have seen people go about religious authority with the use of the clenched fist and and receive this uh, further reminder and encouragement to come to Putnam City Original tonight at 6 p.m. We're going to have this discussion and we're going to see 
on display. What happens when people opt for religious authority symbolized by the clenched fist as opposed to religious authority symbolized by the open hand? Now, here's what's good about an open hand, especially as you talk about authority. Then you can't grasp it. You understand that authority, you're just a pass-through for authority, right? Dr. Green was so clear about this. Any of us that got ordained while Pastor Green was the pastor here, he would always remind us, okay, there, you can just hear it in the, the ceremony. You are granted authority. It's not yours, it's borrowed. It's always borrowed authority from whom? The church? Well, you could kind of say the church, but the church also borrows its authority from whom? Jesus? Okay, yeah. But even Jesus understood authority to have been granted. It didn't originate with him. Even Jesus understood that authority was granted to him. It starts with the heartbeat of God. My hope for us. I'm going to give away the end of the story. Ready? Then I'm going to help us to get there. Here's the thing, at the end of the day, you need to know that we are a church who handles authority like this and not like this. Now, I love you and I'm gonna be here a while longer and you're gonna be here, I hope, a while longer, but if you insist that authority needs to be like this, this is not your church and you can find those churches. Sadly, I can tell you how to get there. But we're not going to do religious authority like this. We're going to do authority like this. We're going to do authority like this. When religious authority is handled responsibly, the result is grace, love, inclusion, hospitality, transformation, hope, and doxology. It glorifies God. All right, hear this again. When religious authority is handled responsibly, the result is grace. These are the byproducts, right? Oh, bless you. Gracious heavens. <laughs> Quick word of prayer for Kelly. When religious authority is handled responsibly, the result is grace, love, inclusion, hospitality, transformation, hope, and doxology. Amen. When religious authority is handled irresponsibly, the result is exclusion, scorekeeping, rebellion, inhospitality, violence, and despair. So Jesus... Jesus was a fascinating figure to the people around him. They, uh, they were constantly asking this particular question. Look at the authority this person has. Where does he get this authority? The demons respond to Jesus. The wind and the waves respond to Jesus. <laughs> There's a point at which in the Gospel of Matthew, the people hearing Jesus speak say, man, he speaks with such great authority, not like the priest at the local synagogue. I always feel bad for the priests at the local synagogue when, they, when I hear that. But they always sort of recognize that there is this sort of incredible authority where well, Jesus is concerned. But I would submit to you that it's never this. Well, okay, one time when he was aiming at religious people. Otherwise, Jesus' authority was always this. 
Now, some of you are going, but I don't get how this is a symbol of authority. I don't get that. Yeah, because we are so schooled in authority being this, we have trouble imagining that authority might be this. This is why I feel like I need to preach the sermon of the always being slaughtered lamb often. And not just here, because we are, we are slowly but surely, we're getting it slowly but surely, but I preach it everywhere I can gather up Christians, because I think Christians are sometimes, no, no not us, obviously, we're Christian. <laughs> but Christians are sometimes intimidated or intoxicated, and they're intimidated or intoxicated back to this place where they think authority is this. People, the always being slaughtered lamb is never this. So, if you have trouble understanding how this can be, if you're listening in podcasts, I now have open hands. If you have trouble understanding how this can be, the posture of authority, two things. One, it's okay, you are chronically normal. But two, perhaps the best of the Christian story is yet to come to you. We say this every week. You heard it again today. God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. We've been saying that around here now for pushing a couple of decades. For a long time we've been saying that. That does not mean that you have license to do whatever it is that you want to do. It means welcome and we believe even though you are who you are, as you are welcomed and brought in closer and closer and closer to this campfire, we believe that the resources needed, necessary for transformation are more likely to be found when authority is done like this than this. Can character be changed through a beating? Uh, pro probably not the kind of Christ-like character that we're hoping. But can character be changed when authority is done like this? I think so. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus comes riding in on a warrior stallion, right? He comes riding in, no, 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 it's donkey. It's this. And then he goes and he occupies the temple. Remember all those occupied movements? Jesus is absolutely occupying the temple so that people can see that there is a dramatic difference between the way that these religious folks and these leaders and the elders and the Pharisees and all those people, there's a dramatic difference in the way they do power and the way Jesus is going to do power like this. Even, you guys, when he clears the temple, even that is a move toward this. He is taking aim at faith and religion and power and authority done like this. This is an unusual person, this Jesus. Chapter 21 tells us later on, Jesus walks by a fig tree. He was hungry. He was sorting through this fig tree for figs for food because he was hungry. And this fig tree, beautiful it was, had beautiful leaves, but he kept sorting through it, sorting through it, could not find any figs. And so somehow Jesus had the authority to end it. That's authority now. 
That's incredible. I think that's a, an amazing parable that's not very often called a parable. And then, having seen all of this, the people see this great, incredible demonstration of authority. Finally, at the very end, the Great Commission, here's what Jesus says. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And since all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, do you see what I remember what I said earlier about authority and when it's used responsibly, what it does, it includes all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, says Jesus. So he says, okay, now I'm going to give it to you. Open hands, open hands. I'm giving this authority to you. And this authority, when used responsibly, should make just enough room for everyone. Everyone. Look, all of those people, that's Christ-like authority right there. Wow. To be contrasted with the authority of the uh, scribes and the elders of the people who have seen Jesus, who they've seen this, this little parade into town, they saw him riding a donkey, they heard actually some of these children singing Christ's praises, and they were actually, this is in the Bible, they were angry at the children for singing Christ's praises, And they confront Jesus with this, like, hey, seriously, like, who are you? And Jesus says, oh, this is like scriptural. The children are going to sing when I'm around. And then they see Jesus ransacking the temple, upending their systems and their structures, and now they're saying to him, by what, they recognize some authority, but by what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? And you know what Jesus said to them, okay, all right. I will let you know, but I'm going to ask you a question, and if you'll give me an answer, I'll give you an answer. Did the baptism of John, now John is brought back into the picture. John the Baptist, now he's been dead for some time now, executed by the systems, the powers, and the principalities. John has been executed. It's very, 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 very ugly. Prior to that, John was inviting people to be baptized into the movement, into the kingdom. John was saying to people, anyone who would listen, come and align yourself with the purposes of God. Come align yourself with the heart of God. Come and if necessary, be transformed. Let me say this again. Let me say this again. We hope that you sense here an infinite supply of love and grace and warmth and welcome and acceptance, but we also want you to hear us say, align your lives with the life of Christ. Again, please do not understand us to be a man. Pastor, when do we ever talk about sin? I have heard that once or twice. When do we ever talk about sin? All right. To put all of your fears to rest, here's me talking about sin. Ready? (laughs) Let's be like Jesus. And where we recognize there to be some difference between who I am, who you are, who we are, and Jesus, let's confess that as sin. In other words... (laughs) Sure, I'm glad I got four years, Mindy. Thank you. (laughs) In other words, if you do power like this, John the Baptist and Jesus and John the Middendorf, 
calls you to repent. Now, I know you've got your issues that are super important to you. You have, you have issues that are super important to you, so important to you that you are willing to fight about them, right? Because you're in the Lord's army. And it's not that we don't fight. It's not that we don't fight. We just have this very characteristic way of fighting, and here's how we fight. Okay, come here. Welcome. Is how we Fight. So, if at any point you recognize in yourself, if at any point I recognize in myself some other posture of authority besides this one, if at any point you recognize this clenched fist posture of authority, no matter what, we're talking about time to repent because the kingdom that has in mind these concepts like transformation and Christ-likeness and good old-fashioned Nazarene terms like holiness and sanctification. We believe, we have the audacity to believe Jesus when Jesus says the best way to get from here to there, Christ-likeness, the best way to get from here to there, entire sanctification, is not this but this. I want, as your pastor, you to be Christ-like. I want, as your pastor, to be Christ-like. <laughs> the best way to get from here to there is not the clenched fist. It is the open hand of embrace and welcome and hospitality. That is how Christ sees to get Zacchaeus from here to there. That is how Christ sees how to get the woman caught in adultery from here to there. That is how Christ sees to get Matthew from here to there. That is how Christ sees to get the other villain crucified with him to get from here to there. That is how Christ sees to get, insert your name here, from here to there. And by the way, you guys, you gotta get there. Lest you forget, right? What we say about the posture of God and God's love for you, it is not license to be not Christ-like. What we say about God's posture where you're concerned is the way to get from here to there. So Jesus uh, just totally whips these people. They know what the stakes are. In fact, they kind of know that what John was saying was right. But we can't say out loud that John's baptism was from heaven or else Jesus will say, well, why didn't you pay attention? Why didn't you align yourself like so many others did? And by the way, we're going to use the terminology of tax collectors and prostitutes. Even that, I'm not sure, translates so well for us today. So let's say this. Let's say materialists or people who want to have money at all costs and people who are sexually impure. Let's say all of those people. 
All of those people hear, hear the call to repentance and alignment with the purposes of God and the people of God, and they recognize that there is a kingdom here that they can belong to whose hallmarks are love and grace and hope and hospitality, and they say yes while these smart people said no. We do not know, which was a lie. They did know. But they said, we don't know. And Jesus said, fine, then I won't tell you how I'm doing these things either. Except that then Jesus tells a parable which does kind of answer the question. And it's going to get personal again, so just buckle up. A man had two sons. He went to the first and he said, son, go to work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But really, that's kind of almost like a, it's not quite strong enough. What he said was, I don't wish to do this. In complete and open defiance of the father, says, I wish not. Not me, not gonna do it. Now, recognize in this era, in this particular ethos, mean honor and respect and love for one's family. And, and when your dad says something, you do it, not just because you think it's a good idea, but because you love and honor and respect that man, you say yes for all those reasons. And to say no is to publicly disgrace your dad and yourself and the entire community, which, which brought you up because it takes a village, you know. To say no in this circumstance is a shot in the wrong direction and it seeks to undermine everything. But this person says no. Publicly shamed himself, his dad. Later on, when no one was watching, he said okay and then he went. The other son, <laughs> when he heard the call to go out and work in the vineyard, he said, I'll go, sir. I'll go, sir. Completely aware of his surroundings, completely aware of the way to do church, y'all. He knew the words. He knew, he knew how to go about this. He knew to say, I go, not just I go, but I go, sir, I go. Then he didn't go. Man, have you ever known someone who said, I have decided to follow Jesus, who then didn't? Have you ever sung that song? If you haven't, you have not been in church. <laughs> Because we have figured out a reason, a reason to sing that song in all kinds of contexts forever. We have sung it forever. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Right? The world behind me, the cross before me, super spiritual people like me know all the verses. Oh, can we work on this for the next four years? Stay with me here. You know when you sing that song, right? That you're meant after the song to actually follow Jesus. You're meant, after the song, to follow Jesus. 
like this. Folks, if you're going to sing the song, folks, if you've sung the song, and you know what? Nearly all of us have sung the song a thousand times. You're supposed to, after the song, follow Jesus. I get a bad rap. Just so you know, I get a bad rap. I hear people say to me, man, people don't make decisions here. Yeah, they do. I, I get a bad rap, though, because people think I am anti-decision. Here, here's what I am. I'm not anti-decision. I'm anti-singing the song and believing that by singing the song and getting to the end of the song because you've memorized the words that you've made the decision. Here's what I don't like. Four years still, Mindy, right? Still four years. Okay. Here's what I don't like. People who can name you, date, and time that they made the decision whose lives are demonstrations that you can sing the song and not follow Jesus. But they live and bank on the decision that they made, whether it was 10 minutes ago or 10 years ago or 100 years ago. They live and they bank on that decision, though their lives aren't changed. They feel like they have secured somehow their eternity, but their lives aren't changed. It's the harshest thing that you'll hear me say to you all day. (laughs) If you've sung the song, but you've not followed Jesus, then you really didn't make the decision anyway. Okay, kind of quiet. You think that's bad. Listen to what Jesus says now. Materialistic people who are making money at all costs who finally get this, and the sexually impure, get into the kingdom, which is not somehow heaven, eternal life after you die. This is the kingdom, the right here, right now kingdom. The materialists who finally get it And the sexually impure who finally get it are in line in front of the scribes and the elders of the people. In front of those people. They were so mad. And I think they were mad at some of them because they knew they'd been found out. have decided to follow Jesus. Well, not if it doesn't look like this. I'm sorry, I want to get to the best part. Not if it, hasn't look, not if it doesn't look like this, you haven't. There's another passage I might have used today. The kenosis passage, which means the self-emptying passage. And if you don't look like this, then you've not yet decided to follow Jesus. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, 
did not, require, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. Some of you made a decision to try to secure your eternity, but it wasn't a decision to follow Jesus. Because to follow Jesus is to do authority like this, y'all. This is why we come to the table every week. To practice, to be reminded of the hospitality of God whose body was broken and whose blood was spilt and who still receives us. This is why we come to the table like this. I'm way over, I'm sorry. This is why we come to the table like this and not like this. Imagine if I asked you to come to the table. Please come to the table with your hands like this, ready to punch out wherever it is to get all the bread that you can get. We are practicing life, posture, and good theology every time we come like this. This is how our Savior did power and authority. This is how, this is how we are supposed to do power and authority. And when we do, the result is inclusion, embrace, transformation, grace, hope, future, and doxology. And I know we all have a ways to go to get there. That's why we come and we rehearse, we practice the right posture every single week. If you're helping us, go ahead and come to the table and set this table if you would. Uh, hear this, hear this. <clears throat> Church of the Nazarene, we, we celebrate with an open table. Here's what this means, right? We, we say, you don't have to be all fixed to come to this table. What we'll say is, if you recognize your need for this grace that will teach you how to do power like this and not with your fist clenched, then yep, this table is for you. But you need to recognize, you need to recognize your need for grace. We are cautioned to not eat or drink in unworthy fashions. Here's what that means. Do not understand this gesture of love and grace and hope as license to not be changed into the likeness of Christ. That is unworthy. Keep your seat. But if you would be moved toward Christ's likeness, if you want to be or if you want to want to be moved toward Christ's likeness, man, you need this like I do. Heavenly Father, bless these elements, and by them, Lord, move us toward Christ's likeness. Reform the ways that we use and understand power and authority. Establish your Son. May we understand Christ to be this incredible <laughs> measuring stick. And then, God, may we sense it and know it and understand it and we recognize that you have committed to us in the hopes of lifting, lifting us and growing us and buoying us up toward Christ-likeness. God, thank you for this church, for the ways in which it has raised a family 
for the ways in which it has nourished a marriage, for the ways in which it has raised a pastor or two or 12. God, teach us where we go from here. Empower us so that we can go wherever you want us to go from here. But each week, y'all, will always go to the table. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and exit your pew to the left. I'm going to ask you to come forward. Super important that you come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of grace. It is broken body and shed blood. As you approach the person holding the bread, a piece of bread will be snapped off, placed into your hand. That person will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Don't eat it just yet, but dip it into the cup. Someone standing there will be holding a cup. When you do, that person will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat, and then people find a place to pray. We have tried to maintain deep connection with our ancient tradition by having the table every week, but also to our own Wesley and Nazarene tradition by opening the altar every week. My suspicion is that we all need to pray. If Christ is truly the standard, and by the way, Christ is truly the standard, then my suspicion that it is that I'm not the only one that needs to pray. If you come to one of these side padded altars, someone will meet you there, anoint you with oil, and pray that prayer for healing. If you come to one of these kneelers benches, these mourners benches here, we won't assume a thing, but we will come and pray alongside you let us know as much as you'd like to let us know about and yes you can circle back around and pray at your seats I'm pretty sure God can still hear you there but man sometimes something happens here it's on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying this is my body broken for you and some sense broken by you (laughs) Every time you eat of it, remember me. Remember that you're forgiven. Same way later, he took the cup, he held it up before them, and he said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, blood shed for you, by you. Every time you drink it, may it remind you of a new covenant now that we have. All are welcome. All who understand their need for grace are welcome. There is a little font here if you need to remember that you are amongst the baptized and encourage you to come here. But all across the sanctuary now, I would invite you to stand. If you can't get to us, Jason and Katie are headed to you, but stand to your feet if you would. Exit your pew to the left and come forward to receive the gifts of God meant to nourish and grow the people of God. that we are amongst those who at times can be intimidated, intoxicated 
by a competing understanding of power, a competing understanding of authority, even as we come to church, even as we are religious. We confess, Lord, that maybe there's some scribe in us, some Pharisee, some elder of the people in us. We confess, Lord, that we don't quickly want to be identified with the tax collectors and the prostitutes, and yet, I suspect that what we need most, God, is to recognize that the same grace that reaches to the likes of Zacchaeus, Mary Magdalene, and those who carry those labels today, I suspect that what we need most is a fresh reminder that the same grace that calls them calls us, the same grace that gives them hope gives us hope and future. I suspect, God, that we just need to sit still and hear from you. Change how we do authority, Lord. Change it toward your son's use and posture in authority. We're going to say a few moments together and some congregational moments of prayers of intercession before I turn it over to Dr. Tashton, who will pray for those who've gathered here as our interns and those who are our fellows, as they are commissioned in ministry among us. Church, would you pray with me and with us? I saw Lane Green get up from her seat and go put her arm around LaDonna. Got some difficult news this week. Church, would you in these moments pray for the healing of LaDonna Bennett? Before church this morning, I went and stopped by to see Lynn Caprero, who's not doing well. Church, would you pray for Lynn and for Trudy that God's presence would come alongside of them this week in amazing ways? Pastor John and Pastor Aaron gathered around Tina Hughes, who has hip surgery tomorrow. Church, would you pray for Tina as Pastor John anoints her with oil for healing? Would you pray that her hip surgery goes well and that her future is bright? Each week, Debbie McKenzie comes to church with a smile on her face, although cancer is so present in her body. Church, would you pray for our friend Debbie McKenzie? There are others even in the life of the church and you know one that's in your heart right now. Would you pray for that person in your life who you know needs God's healing touch, God's presence, God's reconciliation with that person who God has put in your heart right now? Would you pray for them now? Could we all pray for that one heart that's heavier than all of our hearts? We don't know who that is, but someone today came in overwhelmed and in need of you. And together, God, we pray for that one now. We thank you, gracious God, that these, your servants, have responded to your call 
and are giving themselves to the work of ministry. We don't know exactly in what way, or they may not be exactly certain in which direction you will lead them, but they have said yes to you and to your will, to your call. Grant them strength and determination and the guidance of your spirit that as they prepare themselves and develop skills to communicate the gospel in word or to be caregivers or to teach or to preach whatever your will may be for them. May they find strength. May they find your presence and your guidance in their lives. And grant all of us as your people to offer them our support with words of encouragement, with our prayers, and surround them with a community of faith where they can feel your guidance, your presence, and give themselves totally to the work of ministry. We give you thanks for all that you have promised to do. We pray in the name of Christ, our Lord. And now with the confidence of children of God, let us conclude this time of prayer with the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples using debts and debtors. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.